Tony? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really well. Just uh, went for a walk with the puppy. My mascot nice. is normally in here for the podcasts, but I decided <laughs> to enjoy the sun. Yeah, right. I met with my mentor, which is always lovely, just to sit with an older man, talk yep. about, ostensibly about business stuff. Okay. But really, you're talking about life. Like, where do you want to go? What are you going to do next? Yeah, right. How, how long have you been with, with that mentor? Uh, a little bit over a year now. Okay. And it was with a group here in Noosa, a business mentoring group that, that he right. set up. And now he's just sort of moved out to do it privately, sort of out of the goodness of his heart. Doesn't It's, it's completely free. And Yeah, um, wow. Okay. Well, he's in yeah, it for so, the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had a chat to him about the difference between mentoring and coaching, which yep. is, and he's like, I'm a mentor. I'm not a coach. I'm not charging okay. money. I'm not charging money purposely because what I do is kind of Socratic mentoring where I will just ask you questions and let you come to the answer yourself. Yeah, right. So it facilitates the change, right? Which is beautiful. Yeah. Doesn't fall into that trap of being a business coach where the client can think that it's his job to do the work. Yeah, right. There's a set formula to, you know, to, to try and get you to where you want to go, but maybe... It, the reliance is more on the coach yeah. to do the work or to get the work done rather than yeah. the other way around. Yeah, Which right. is such, It's a really weird, in a previous life, I did business coaching. I was a business coach. And yeah, right. for, oh, I don't know percentages, but for a number of the clients got to a point where this isn't working and it's all your fault. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, potentially part of that is my fault as the coach. I'm happy to wear that. And yet, I don't know that you see that so much in sports that it's the coach's fault if an athlete doesn't do well. Now, no. sometimes a, 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 an athlete will go and find another coach. Yep. But it's, it's not necessarily the coach's fault. So that's an interesting dynamic. And when, and when my coach Julian, uh, sorry, when my mentor Julian started talking about that, I was like, ah, oh, okay. I can see why you call it mentoring. Yeah, right. I get, yeah, I, that, that does make that sense is. because, yeah, there's a lot more. It should be coming from if you're wanting to see change in yourself or wanting to see changes in whatever you're doing, that should be led by yourself rather than the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly right. And so it's not incumbent upon Julian to say, this week, you need to go and do this in your business. Yeah. So we, uh, we're having interesting discussions at the moment because in Noosa, whilst we haven't been locked down, there's still been an impact from the lockdowns yeah. and the pandemic you know, with the clinical practice and, and a whole lot of whys and verfors and stuff jumping all over the place. Yeah. And so I've, I've moved my business predominantly online now. Yeah, okay. So, it's like, so the questions become, well, what are you doing? How are you generating income? How are you providing service? How are you getting the word out there to people? Yeah. And I think the best thing he says is like, just keep the momentum up and have patience in the, you know, have patience and trust the process. Yeah. I think, uh, I think with anything you, well, something I've learned, you know, is that eventually everything will work out in the right time when it's meant to happen. Um, I think for me being a Gen Y, uh, you know, we want everything now, now, now. 
and you know I've I've learned very quickly in the last, especially in the last sort of seven years, that that just doesn't happen. You know, no. you you <clears throat> things will happen when they're meant to happen, um, mm. and I, I feel you you can't rush something that isn't meant to happen right then. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely, definitely believe everything sort of without getting philosophical, but everything happens for a reason, you know, and, uh, that's definitely something I've, uh, I've learned, you know, in, in my 35, nearly 36 years. So, yeah. And it's interesting how the generational shifts be can become apparent. Like I, I'm, I'm Gen X. So it's, it's, it's sort of like a slightly different ethos. We, yeah. we don't, we kind of weren't taught to go out and get it now kind of mentality. Bit, yeah. You know, and, and so Gen Y is a little bit more like that and it, neither is right nor wrong. They just are. But yeah. it's, it's interesting dealing with those shifts. And I can see it in my clientele that when I get the younger person, there is more often this push to fix something fast. Yeah. And, and well, that's okay. You just work with that. That's okay. Well, I think I think also we're so used to getting things now, now, now. You know, it, we can go on to Google and find out an answer to a question. You know, mm. well, you know, whether it's the right question or the right answer. Um, yeah, or both. Um, but you know, if we want to. You know, gone are the days where if you wanted to watch a movie, you had to go down the blockbuster and mm -hmm. get and get a DVD. Now and you some, just have to and change sometimes your... wait because yes, the thirty yeah. copies that they had of the blockbuster <laughs> yeah. movie that's out now were all rented. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, you know, and now we can just flick on the TV or flick on our phone and get things right now. Mm -hmm. And it's instant it's, gratification. Yeah. And it's instant gratification on social media. It's everything has become quite instant. And we're sort of now growing up in a society where that's just the norm. And mm -hmm. it's hard to get people to sort of take a step back and realize that not life, life just doesn't work like that in every aspect. Um, yeah, it is really interesting. I grew up, when I grew up, when I was a kid, the internet didn't exist. Yeah. But there was no internet. If you wanted to learn something, you went to a library or you went to someone's house who had Encyclopedia Britannica, which might be 10 years old. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. So it might be outdated, but if, if they're talking about Egyptian pharaohs, there's your information. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think, you know, it's, it's strange even like when I split with my previous partner, um, you know, I was back in a dating world where there was the iPhone. Mm -hmm. Before the last time I was single, there was no iPhone. So there was no apps, nothing like that. So, yeah. you know, it's- Dating apps is such a foreign thing to me, this concept of choosing who you want to meet based on a profile. And your postcode. Uh, you know, it's in your location. Like wow, it's, you yeah. know, you, you're not even selecting, it's within a five kilometer radius and it's, it's just, it's strange concept it's like to me as well. Relationship by convenience. Yes. Yeah. 
and everyone's wishing, you know, the the tall, dark, handsome, or the you know, or the long, blonde hair, you know, person's right there, and they've got all the qualities that you want, all just based off a profile pic. Like I just, I think people are putting too much hope into those kind of kind of mm. things. And it works yeah. sometimes, and then other times maybe the old-fashioned way is the way to go. Well, I remember even going out to bars and because that's where, you know, you sort of met your next partner, you know, mm -hmm. in my day, like, or you, met them, you met them through, through somebody. Yeah. Yep. And there's people in the bars that are still doing, like, on the apps. And I'm like, put your phone away. Like, just yeah, we can meet. We can connect here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's become the norm. Um, mm. And it's... You know, I think that's been, uh, like I know, especially in the, the gay community, you know, a lot of these apps and things have sort of hit the the gay bars, uh, you know, quite quite hard because they don't have to go out and meet them in the bar anymore. Ah, of course. so it has an economic impact as well as a societal impact. Yeah, and I mean, on the flip side of that, I think, you know, it's something, um, you know, in my personal opinion, and people may disagree with this, but you know, a lot of the gay bars, there's the, the you know, there's only three real gay bars left in Melbourne. You know, there used what's to be quite, there, there used to be quite a lot. There, um, okay. tell me what's left because I, I mean, I'm I'm seven or so years away from Melbourne, and I've got a bunch of gay friends, but in Melbourne, and yet I am so disconnected from it, I wouldn't even know what's still open. So there's the the peel. The uh, land. Well, there's, there's your standard. It's yes, down. yes. Um, and I think that will be there forever. Um, the uh, the Laird and uh, Circuit. There's a couple of other places that have popped up. Um, mm -hmm. But I like to be honest. I'm so out of touch with that that realm. It's just interesting. Um, I, and I wonder, like, you've got the you've got the impact of of this dating app thing that you're talking about, but then also you've got lockdowns and COVID. So yes, absolutely. And I mean. That's that's impacted any bar, you know, any oh, hospitality. Um, but um, you know, I think for the gay community, it's um, I feel like because it has become a lot more acceptable or accepted in general society, uh, there's you know that there's not that need to actually go to a gay bar anymore. You it's know? almost not subcultural anymore, is it? it it's, it, it's yeah, I can see. I mean, I can remember the peel when I was in high school and I had friends who were, you know, like, I don't know, if, I think it would have been the end of high school, so they wouldn't have been underage, but just getting in. Yeah. Like, huh, all right. I didn't even know the peel was a gay bar. I knew it was a bar. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't even know. It wasn't even on my radar that these things existed because... I never made the distinction. Yeah, right. Like it was just no, never, like in me. Yeah. I was like, okay, so you're gay, like, and what's what's for dinner, like? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, being a heterosexual man, I never understood that these places, like, that there was a need for this place. Yeah. I can understand it now. Yes. Like, it retrospectively, makes complete sense. Yeah. It was. I was all like, oh, okay, all right, so. Good on you. Like, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's de- I mean, they've definitely served they've definitely served a purpose because I, you know, I do feel, you know, for the generations you know mm. before me needed that space, you oh, know, absolutely. because um, because it, it definitely it you know even 10, 15 years ago it wasn't the same as it is now. Oh, no. Um, no, no, no. And, you know, and some people still may feel it, it's all individual, I think, perceptions on whether you feel comfortable or safe in your own environment and whether you need that still. Um, and, you know, and rightly so, you know, we're still, we've come a long way, but I think there's still a long way to go in terms of, you know, just general acceptance uh, amongst everywhere. So. Yeah, I think that that's just going to be an eternal human problem that there is a, don't even know what the world is, maybe an uneasiness with the other, whatever the other happens to be. And throughout history, there's always been the other. Yes. And this mentality about, I don't understand it, therefore, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Which Which is, I mean, it's so lovely to watch the world evolve and it's also annoying that it takes so much time for that to happen but i just yeah. don't think i just don't think humans move fast with this type of stuff no, I, I well would. I, but I, just, it, I i you know i think i think it depends on where where you live i mean new zealand was one of the first countries to ever accept gay marriage and you know, that was back in the early 2000s, or even like late 90s. I'm not sure the exact time. It was early in the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which and should never have been a discussion in the first place. It's such a bloody no-brainer. Yeah. Like, you love someone, you want to marry them, done. Move on. Let's go get a pint or a cup of tea or something. You know, you know <laughs> there's, there's, there's a speech by uh, New Zealand Parliament uh delegate or whatever the right word is but you know there if you youtube it it's it's an amazing speech because they're they're saying things like you know the sky is still going to be blue tomorrow you know you're still going to get up tomorrow you're still going to drop your daughter off to school or your son you're still going to have dinner with your family all those kind of things nothing is actually going to change you know um and it was just a powerful speech but it just i mean it's it's disheartening that it took australia so long to get you know that over the line yeah well i can remember when yeah it must have been when when what was it they did this weird vote about it didn't they which was uh anyway but henry rollins i don't know if you know henry rollins no Uh, Oh, well, he's an interesting guy to look up. Uh, punk rocker, uh, lead singer of Black Flag back in the 80s. So, okay. like, straight down the line, hardcore punk, Roland's band. If you're into sort of heavy hardcore punk and what came out of that, it's worth looking up. But he does spoken word now. He does. He's, he's in his 60s maybe now. I remember going to his 50th birthday gig at the Gershwin Room and there was, like, 100 people and he just did spoken word for about three hours. It was like a, a mate standing up on the coffee table in the lounge room, just telling you yeah. about stuff. But he came out and he, I remember he said, move on. This whole conversation is beneath your entire country. Yeah. And I'm like, why do we need to listen to a, an American punk rocker? 
I mean, he's right. But yeah, why would I used to talk to my friends and and just say to them, I, I, I am upset that we are still having this discussion. And I'm upset for you. Yeah, we're, like, we're still chatting about something that's so damn obvious. Because you're right, sun comes up. Like, what changed? Yeah. Well, I think. Um, you know, in, I mean, sorry. Let me let me put that. What changed in a negative sense that everyone? Oh, absolutely. About a lot changed in a positive sense, especially for the gay community. Like, there's some amazing stuff happened. But for yeah. the people that were worried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How how and. I mean, I always thought like, how does how does what I you know I suppose live, or how do I how does the way I live in terms of the the, the sex of the person that I I want to be with actually affect your life? Exactly. Like I just it. People were so caught up on something, you know, that just it essentially didn't affect them. Mm -hmm. um, and they were holding back on people actually in a positive way of living their life. Um, you know, look, it, for me personally, it, it was like my dad and I, like we never had the conversation. Uh, it was It was the unspoken thing. You know, my dad. Kind of that what, old don't ask, don't tell mentality. Yeah. And, you know, eventually, you know, he was like, he's even had the conversation with me that if, you know, if you're gay, you're out of this family, that type of mentality. Um, oh, heavy. And I mean, that's when like I was 15, 16. Holy clearly shit. Clearly remember having that conversation. Um, wow. Which and you know I grew up in a country town in Queensland, and you know if you were if you were gay, you know you you were the outcast. You know you were made fun of. You were uh, you were teased at school. You know people would use the f word. Uh, you know uh, they would call you a pufter. They would call you everything. You know and. <clears throat> eventually you know my dad in his own way came around to it and that wasn't until three of his good friends actually uh actually came out gay at the age of 50 after they've <laughs> been married had three and kids and everything the whole thing they're supposed to do yeah yeah, yeah. Sup um, supposed in inverted commas of course Yes, um, and uh, dad, you know, he realised, oh, well, they're still the same person, mm. you know, they're nothing. How strange. Like... Yes, yeah. Um, but, you know, it eventually came out, you know, that dad was more concerned about what his family would say. Ah, uh, yeah. And, you know. It's not about you, it's not about you dad. <laughs> no, um, and dad like mum told me, like my dad passed away back in 2013. Right. But, you know, when gay marriage was becoming a hot topic on the news, dad was sitting in the lounge room and it was on, on the news and he just turned to mum uh, and said, you know, look, I hope Tony can get married one day. And that conversation never would ever come out of his mouth. But, you know, it was his way of sort of 
accepting oh. what was what was what and um you know he he would never say that to me but you know he he was the type that never told you i love you or any of those kind of things but in his own way he would tell people that he cared about them by action or yeah. by by doing something you know so um yeah i think you know it's it for that generation you know i it was something I never pushed with him either. You know, it was, I didn't want to make him feel more uncomfortable about something mm -hmm. he just did not know. Um, but, you know, my older brother thinks it's something I've chosen. And I said to him when I told him I was gay, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gay, you know? And he said, well, you, you've, chosen, you've chosen men over women. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, you've chosen women over men. And he was like, well, no, that's what I'm attracted to. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, why is it different for me? Like, yeah. you know, I just... Circular logic. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's... Um, for uh, I think, mm. you know, especially for my brother and my dad, it, it was the unknown. You know, they didn't know oh, anything yeah. about it. And it's probably what they've been told, you know. Of course. And it, it's misconception and preconception. Yeah. And, and I think to a certain extent, and I think this is true for all of us in some areas of life, that we can be afraid of asking the question that will educate us enough. Yeah. Like, like to, to take the next step, to be okay with it. I mean, because when I was growing up, I have no idea through university who of my friends was gay? And there had to be some gay men and gay women. Yes. No idea who they were because it yeah. just wasn't it just wasn't out there. It just wasn't no. spoken of. And I'm thinking back to it now, and I'm like, geez, they must have hidden that really well because they were so uncomfortable because they had to exist. And yet the worst thing that I remember is the kind of uh, undercurrent, and it wasn't homophobia, it was mindless discussion yeah that was it wasn't necessarily anti-gay but it def definitely wasn't compassionate and so no. by almost by accident and i'm not excusing it because i'm sure i was part of it in some way because i wouldn't have spoken up to defend anyone absolutely it was, it was almost letting everyone know that it wasn't okay or it wasn't acceptable or something like that well i and, think you know, I, I think it's you know out of mind you know, like, let's, you know, if it's out of mind, we don't need to talk about it. Like, you know, if we just don't even have the conversation, we don't, it's, it's not actually happening. You know, mm. I think but people. If, but but what, what I'm thinking of is, you know, that something would be said that was, you know, having a joke at the expense of. Yes. And, and it would just be okay. Whereas yeah. people are a little bit more mindful of that now. My son came home the other day and he was saying how the kids in the class were saying oh that's gay and i'm like do you understand what that means mm. and he didn't understand what it meant and i said do you understand why what you're saying in that context is derogatory to a group of people and, yeah. and like he had he had no context about what we're saying and probably the boys in his class because we're talking about 13 year old boys yeah, so yeah, yeah whether they do or do not have context i would assume they don't because they're not mean-hearted kids no. But that's in the vernacular, right? It still exists yeah. where you're using 
like we would use the word pussy to say, you know, you're a weak man. Yes. And the analogy being that that's female genitalia and you're a girl or, you know, mm. and what's wrong with being a girl? So yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got, you got to be careful about when you're trying to use language to, you know, point something out that that's not, and I mean, I'm not trying to be politically correct because that goes mad as well. It can go off. <laughs> yes. It, it just that's, a, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, oh, okay, so it's still out there. And we're, we're supposed to be, this culture is supposed to be a bit more woke, which again, yeah, that could be too much. And yet that, that stuff still, and it's not just about gay. It's you know, like, pick another word, right? There's still not this understanding that you're okaying something that's probably not okay. <laughs> Well, it's because it's language, right? And it's how do you use it to explain what you're trying to explain? Like, just call that person an idiot or call that thing stupid. You don't have to pin a a word on it that doesn't even capture what you're trying to talk about. Well, I think, uh, you know, like I remember when I was running my business back, like, you know, maybe 10 10 or so years ago, and Mm -hmm. there was a large... Uh, industrial client that we were trying to land and uh, you know I was going after this client for a number of years and uh, we eventually sort of got put in front of them and and you know they were about to sign the documents and to to do it because I was running an insurance brokerage so we were looking after their public liability and things like that and they uh you know were about to sign the documents and then one of the you know board members or directors or whatever you know they said oh Tony I just want to ask you you know a general question I'm like oh yeah sure sure go for it and they said oh well I've heard around town that you're gay and I'm like (laughs) I'm like and and they were like oh no like you know I didn't mean any any you know I didn't mean it in a bad way. And I'm like, well, like what, why is it even even relevant. relevant to you calling me up and saying, Hey, Tony, I need to put an insurance claim in, you know, why, what, how does that affect me doing my work for you? Mm. And they were like, Oh no, like, and they, I could just see they were backpedaling, you know, that like, and I, I, you know, this, this business would have put in maybe it was like, between 10 to 20 grand, you know, as a, you know, as a client worth to me. Mm-hmm. And I just said to them, you know, look, I'm sorry, but this has made me completely uncomfortable. And the fact that you've even just brought it up where I, I just felt, I said, look, I'm sorry, but I don't want you as a client. You know, I, even though this would have been a big thing for, you know, a big client for me, mm-hmm. um, I just said, look, I, I don't, it's it's just muddied the water and I had to walk away because I was just like this this mentality I would I don't want you as a client you know moving forward and they're like oh no 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 and I'm like no look I'm sorry but Mm. like if you if you if I went ahead and had you as a client I wouldn't want to do the work for you so I don't want that to reflect bad on me but you know if you get what I'm saying like I just um I understand but, completely. It's it's it would be like you walking in saying, "Oh, I understand that you're married." Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, how is that relevant to this discussion of a business relationship? Yeah. 
Um, like it's, it's great to be curious about people. That is a discussion for over a beer later on. Yes. Not right now. Yeah. Not when we're about to work out the work together. How could you not feel uncomfortable with that? Like, that would be, yeah. I, I mean, it, that's not a discussion that has any relevance. No. But, you know, it was, it was the, because how I would dress even, because you had to sort of almost, how you I'm would. I'm just laughing at the ridiculousness of this. You're going you're gonna to walk in with your like flariest top <laughs> no. and a sombrero. No, but like even, even dealing with clients down in Melbourne, you know, you would dress as in a suit, of you course. know, right. Fair and enough. then up in Mackay, you know, where I was from, you know, you were jeans and a polo shirt, mm-hmm. you know, and you, so you had to sort of, you know, you, you were dealing with different types of demographic of people. And these kind of conversations would be, you know, would come up every now and then, you know, and it was something that I sort of pushed to a side to a point. As in, I, was I, was, just, I was thinking because you're a gay man, you're, you're going to dress inappropriately for that. No, no, no. What, I'm, what I mean is that, you know, you, you were dealing with different types of clients um, right. across across Australia, and uh-huh. just the the mentality of sometimes people in the country, especially in Queensland where I was from, mm-hmm. you know, you were dealing with people that, you know, it was like they're very straight down the line. You know, I just I'm trying to get the words out. Um, I think. Yeah, you just had to learn how to approach certain people in a different environment, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these kind of conversations, you know, would would come up more up in Queensland, where I was from, than down in down in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. I can understand that. I, I've noticed. Uh, Big difference in just discussion, uh, humour, attitudes in moving from Melbourne uh, to to Noosa. Yeah, and and, and Noosa is fairly. You know, I mean, it's a bit more conservative up here, but it's not like moving north north. No, or, or, or sort of inland Queensland, but it's been educational. Right, absolutely, really, really educational. Um, but that you know, that said, I was you know in a fairly progressive group of friends in Melbourne. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would have, that would have been on the tip of, you know, like there was, there were feminists and then there were people who were within the gay community, but very interested in not, not activism, but getting towards a better place for the gay yeah. community. And again, me sitting there going, I'm a, I'm a white heterosexual male. What have I got to complain about? Just going, I get that this sucks for you and it's just why are we even having this fucking conversation still? Can we just all yeah. move on? No, like, let's, let's just work out where it is. Bang. There we go. Okay. Now can we just be people? Yeah, absolutely. Like, <laughs> I don't just, say that, I, I'm not trying to be flippant. No, no, but, but it is, but it is right. Like we should, like we, it took so long to get to that point you know, in Australia, like why, why, why was it such a, a topic that we were still like no change was happening for so long? 
um, you know, it just, even after America legalized it, mm. it took still so long for us to, to have that conversation. But I just wonder if it's because the politicians don't want their legacy to be a massive change just in case something negative happens. And we're seeing that now with the, this is off on a tangent, but somewhat related that there's this ongoing discussion about marijuana and cannabis, especially for medicinal use and recreational mm. use. And all the science is coming out saying, well, I think bad's going to happen. And you can make a truckload of cash in taxes out of this. Look, have, go and have a look at Colorado. Yeah. I mean, have a look at Portugal. They basically decriminalized all drugs and then put all of their money into helping people who are addicted. Yes. Wow. And, and they have a wonderful system now with less crime and less negative aspects of drug use. And yet Dan Andrews comes out a couple of weeks ago and says, nope, we're not going to be legalizing it. It's off the table. Yeah. I don't, like, and I, I mean, if, it... you know, they, that his reasoning or the party's reasoning is they don't want to be associated with that big change just in case. I don't, because I, I can't, I can't. But when there's evidence Actually, out there, when there's evidence out there that it is working for other people, uh, and, and it is working in ways of actually benefiting people. I mean, there's, there's research that I've seen that where people are using, you know, other hard drugs to treat PTSD. Mm -hmm. And all these kind of research is going on. Like, if if the research was coming out and saying, "Hey, we're going to be using," and I'm just saying hypothetically, magic mushrooms to help this condition, and there was a bad reaction to it, mm -hmm. totally, I would get the conversation. But when they're using those type of drugs, and you know, MDMA and all these other hard drugs that are out there to actually treat medical conditions and they're actually having benefits for people, people that are struggling to even cope in everyday life because they've got this condition mm -hmm. and it's actually turning their life around, they've got their life back. Like, I don't understand the, the logic of going, nah, we're just gonna not even deal with this. Like, or nah, we're okay with actually people that have that condition living a shit life living like they want to actually die and not go any further. Like it just. It is. It's amazing. Uh, I spoke uh, early days, uh, a friend of mine named Luke, who's episode two of the podcast, uh, six years into a battle with the rarest form of cancer on the planet. And right. he's just flat out, he just flat out said marijuana saved my life. Holy like, shit. Yeah. He's like medical marijuana saved my life. And he had to get a black market, pay a lot of money for it. You know, like, it's, it's really interesting. Like, when the episodes are out, have a listen to it because you're just like, what? And like my uncle, quadriplegic at the age of 20, massive nerve pain, uh, was told by the doctor, you can have these drugs, huge side effects, or just keep smoking. Wow. So he just kept smoking and, you know, had the best life he could have. But, it, but the, that took it away. And, you know, he would have people around him that would be like, he's the medicine man. Like it's medicine. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think I've seen a video on TikTok of this guy. You know, he had 
I'm not sure what the condition was, but he would go into these like tremors and these shapes and he's shaking like, you know, almost like this. Yeah, I to think it's Parkinson's. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think I've seen that video. You could see that he's had a smoke and then within like two to three minutes, he's like, he's, he's like- Is that the one where he had the, the cannabis oil under the tongue? Oh, like maybe. Yeah, it may have been, yeah. Um, but you know he's had and the he's had stopped. The, yeah, they yeah. they almost like within you know two three minutes he was just he was just like how we are right, sitting right here now. Yeah, if um, I can find that video, I'll I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, it's amazing to watch. It's amazing to watch. And you know, and why wouldn't you want to actually give that to somebody mm -hmm. who's obviously you know not in a great. Uh, state you know they're having to deal with this constantly mm -hmm. and then who wants that kind of life um i think until it's it's almost like the conversation of euthanasia where i think until people are presented with something like that in their own world mm. do they not realize how euthanasia can actually benefit somebody mm -hmm. that has no return to actually have some dignity on how they on how they die, mm -hmm. and until like you know, I my dad uh, passed uh, from stage four bowel cancer. He was mm. hundred kilos within yeah. eleven months, thirty kilos, six foot two, skeleton. You know, it just and he he didn't do the chemo he was doing sort of all almost like a natural you know home remedy type stuff um but you know towards the end you know he was on that many painkillers and things like that where it was just kind of like you know it, it was horrible watching that mm -hmm. stages of life mm -hmm. and him just rattle out to nothing um where you know if he wanted to go he should have had the option because just, you know, to be in so much pain and dad was very much a staunch, you know, don't show emotion and him going through that, he would have felt superior, like less superior as a man to feel that he was showing a weakness. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for, you know, ways of, benefiting in somebody's life if these drugs that are out there that are used for recreational if they're actually got to benefit some for some people that are going through a condition then mm -hmm. yeah it should be it should be explored the conversation should be happening rather than just oh yeah well the science is out there right i mean the microdosing lsd psilocybin uh marijuana even even ketamine ketamine's being used for depression Wow. wow. So like, yes. I, I, I investigate this because I find it profoundly interesting. Yeah. And like, I've, I've dabbled uh, recreationally, but I've found that the kind of experiences I enjoyed were the mind expanding experiences, mostly with mushrooms, where you just have a moment and you feel like you're connected to source or whatever you want to call it. Sure. And, and a window opens up. You're like, oh, this is, this, this is different than what everyone's telling me it is. I can investigate something. It's like a doorway into something else. Yeah. That doesn't make me want to sit in the bush doing mushrooms every second day. 
No. I, you know, that's that's not my bag. And and yet there's this opportunity to explore more things. And we're told, no, you can't do that. You can't be in control of the thoughts in your own head. You can't chemically mm. alter that. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like I'm I'm someone that, you know, I the business I was running, um, I lost it due to the mining downturn and that I I made some decisions in business that uh, I was using money inappropriately to prop up the business because it was failing. And I felt that I had no other way I was trying to do ultimately, you know, when I dobbed myself in and brought myself forward, the authorities saw that I was uh, trying to do the right thing around the wrong way. Uh, which I, you know, paid the ultimate price. I was looking at multiple years in uh, prison uh, for it. Um, but because I was, you know, I brought myself forward and I was honest and everything matched up with what they found. Um, you know, I lost everything. I lost my house, bankrupt. And that led me down a seven-year drug addiction. Um, wow, that's heavy. With, with, uh, with ice and or crystal you know crystal meth and ketamine mm. and um you know when i eventually got myself into rehab back in 2019 the doctors said because of how ice was affecting me because i was able to have some if i was stressed or anxious i was able mm. to have some and it calmed me down so i wasn't running around like a headless shook on it it was the polar opposite. I was able to have some melt into the couch and watch Netflix, or I was able to focus and maintain focus and be, I would be going to work on it. I was, you know, I was a highly functioning addict on it, mm -hmm. but now, you know, on, you know, and I think in about two weeks, I'm actually meeting with a psychiatrist to, for the first time in, you know, 36 years, getting a diagnosis of ADHD because they're saying how the ice affected me is now they're saying you should have been diagnosed ADHD because the medication that they give ADHD is similar to it's, similar to ice. Um, it's kind of, yeah, it's like ice not the same, it's not like, the same potency, but um, I heard it described as it's almost like a, a, a composite of speed and ice. Yeah. Which, when you think about it, doesn't make sense because ADHD is like, yeah, and then you're giving, but it, yeah, which is which is kind of the same mechanism I was that I find interesting with giving ketamine to people who are depressed because the idea of depression is you're down, yes, and then you're giving someone who's down a downer, a tranquilizer, and yet yeah, it helps. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so like I'm. So, were you wired most of the time? And I don't mean after you'd taken us. I mean, were you like fairly highly strung running anxiety and then the, the, the drug would bring you back to... It, it wasn't... Uh, so I, you know, the, I suppose the stress and the anxiety and the depression and the things that I was experiencing from losing everything, mm. that was really the first time that I've experienced that type of stress or anxiety. I was always very on the go, working until 10, 10 o'clock at night. You know, I was very, I was highly functioning as an adult, 
but I never really got the, I never really understood it. I thought that was just me as a person. That was my personality. But the more that we're looking into ADHD, it's explaining a lot more about my personality mm-hmm. and the type of person that I am and why I make certain decisions. You know, I usually am the first to um, start a lot of things, but I have trouble finishing it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's explaining a lot about me and, you know, even though I've had the conversation with mum and she's like, look, you know, to be honest, I, I never thought there was something, you know, there, but I couldn't always put my finger on something that something was not right. It's not that I was, you know, there was something wrong with me, but I just, she just thought that was just me, my personality. Like I was always up and go always doing something like I find it very hard to sit still. Um, you know, when people say I binged, you know, whatever season on Netflix for the whole weekend, I could not think of anything worse. Like I watch maybe three episodes and then I'm like, okay, let's do something else. Um, so yeah, it's, it's now, you know, it's amazing just what impact a certain drug can do to somebody. Mm. And because I was able to, you know, function on it, um, like how I am now is exactly how I am when I was on the drug. So I was able to hide it. I was able to go to work. I was able to do things and people generally wouldn't even have a clue, you know? So it was very, that's why it became very easily for me to hide my drug addiction for so long because a lot of my really close friends had no idea until I verbalized it uh, and told them that I had an issue. A lot of them had no clue. So I think if the drug had the other effect on me where it does with a lot of other people, it would have been a different story. Um, you wouldn't have been where, able to hide that so well, for sure. No, um, and like, and this is something that you know I'm only now you know realizing you know that until the doctor had told me, oh, you should have been diagnosed ADHD. Like I had no clue. Mm-hmm. I just, I just thought that's how I suspected people. Yeah, but I was having a completely different experience to other people that I knew that were using the same drug. Um, so, yeah. So at what point did you work out that this was an addiction and something that you needed to attend to? What was, was there, was there a moment or? Um, I think for me, I, I was experiencing psychosis uh, and quite, quite heavy uh, to the point the voices that I was hearing were as loud as we're talking now. Wow. So the, and what was, what was hard for me to grasp was when I was early on, I actually caught people in another room talking about me so for when then i was hearing voices in another room 
talking about me, it took me a long time to realize that wasn't real because I thought, well, I've caught people talking about me. Why isn't then this real? Why, why that was real? Why isn't this? So it took me a long time to, you know, I couldn't even have the fan on in summer because the white noise I was hearing voices through. Um, yeah, it was and until I realized those voices were, you know, something that my brain was doing mm -hmm. that, you know, back in 2018 was probably the first time where I realized, oh, fuck, I've, I've got a, a problem. You know, this is, this is gone past, it was well gone past, you know, the recreational use, you know, I was daily using for about five years. Um, you know, I couldn't, like, I would wake up, have breakfast, you know, it, it gone past the stage of being a suppressant to my appetite. You know, when I went into rehab, I was 110 kilos. Um, so I was still eating three meals a day, still functioning, all that kind of stuff. But the psychosis for me was the tipping point. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't leave my house because I thought the neighbors were talking about what I was wearing that day. Mm. So I'm standing at my front door, unable to open the door because I was so scared about what I was wearing. I changed my outfit four times and I still did not feel comfortable walking out the front door because I just, and as I said before, as loud as we're talking now, that's how clear I was hearing these voices. So it was, uh yeah debilitating is probably the best word to yes i would say so yeah the psychosis is uh and it's like yeah the psychosis is probably the worst i even know now like i'm you know at the moment in my second time in recovery and you know i'm 103 days clean now and it's um you know, I know now even if I've had a bad sleep, that that psychosis can come back. And uh, because, you know, like I'm, I've been so sleep deprived and also the effects that it's had on my brain, that those symptoms, you know, a psychiatrist previously has told me, Tony, you're very close for those voices actually becoming permanent. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, the psychosis has been, yeah, pretty rough. Yeah. Mm, heavy, man. Yeah, it's, look, you know, it's not the, it's not the path that I wanted to, to be on. Um, but, you know, the, turning to drugs after such a, you know, my partner left me, family, you know, no longer speaks to me, friends and other people in my world just completely cut me out. Wow. And I was, I was desperate, you know, I was, and I'm very, like, I'm a, I'm a massive extrovert and having all those connections completely cut, mm -hmm. I just, I was, 
and when then I found I was using, you know, initially it was an escape to use this drug. You know, I've used all other drugs recreationally over my time, you know, music festivals, parties, clubbing, mm -hmm. but this drug itself, once I realized it was almost self-medicating and that I was, I was feeling a lot better on it. Well, better. Um, it became even more addictive. And also that the fact that it was calming me down and I, I, at, I was at a point where I just did not want to have to deal with what I was going through. I felt like my world had completely, you know, went up in flames and I just, I couldn't even bring myself to feel like the things that I did were wrong and how that impacted others. And I let people down, people looked up to me, you know, I, I just, I was Tony on the outside, but I was shallow on the inside and mm. this drug filled that void, you know, and it was, it was a crutch that I, I was holding on to for so long, but, um, you know, they talk like I'm, you know, actively in NA, Narcotics Anonymous and, um, they talk about the higher power and, you know, they say it's, it's, they have no religious, uh, connotations. Um, they mention the word God, but it's a God of your understanding or a higher power, uh, which for me being brought up a Catholic, uh, it, you know, it's been a bit of a, <laughs> <laughs> uh, an adjustment. Um, but, um, you know, my high power, I believe is, you know, everything happens for a reason, you know, yeah. and that, uh, yeah. like I'm now, I'm now on a path where I'm, I'm trying to use my experience to turn it into a positive. And if it helps Beautiful. others, Beautiful. you know, that's, and I wouldn't know that unless I've gone through everything that I have and I feel like I've, you know, found my purpose again. I thought my purpose before was running my dad's business, you know, which I bought and built it up to what it was. I thought that was my purpose. But, you know, this is now taking me to a completely different path where I feel like this, this was what I was meant to be doing, you know, and it's, it's been a, a journey to get here. And I don't advise everyone to do that <laughs> but um you know i i'm now at the point where i'm actually grateful for the experience you know because it's um it's taught me so much more about myself and about people and uh you know what what i can go through and what i can overcome and how strong i am as a person um you know, and those things I wouldn't have learned if I was still running that business, you know, it's, I would still be, you know, high executive flyer, business class, going on luxury holidays, all taking things for ultimately granted, you know, I had no money issues. And then I've had to learn, fuck, I've already got enough for bread and milk, you know, both ends of the spectrum. And, you know, I'm, I'm more grateful for learning those kind of things about, you know, 
uh, about myself and how to live and, you know, to, to not take things for granted because things could easily change in the instant. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a journey. <laughs> it's definitely, have you, oh, I'm trying to think of the, Russell Brand has a book out about the 12 step process. Have you read that? I think it's, I think it's recovery. I think it's recovery. It's called, but he just, uh, I love it because he rewords the 12 steps. Right. And it's like the first one is, are you fucked? <laughs> you know, so it's not, you know, not, do you have a problem? It's, are you fucked? <laughs> and then, the, and then the second one is, could you be less fucked or something like that? Could you, <laughs> could you unfuck yourself? And it was yeah. just such, because it's entry into uh, this 12 step process, which is often used for addiction, right? Yeah. And yet a lot of that wisdom you can apply to other, just other processes in life or other things that you need to get over, like uh, being able to acknowledge that something is fucked. Number yeah. one, because if you can't do that, where are you going to go? You can't get to step two, three, four, and all the way to 12 if you haven't done one. Yes. You know, and then acknowledging it and then talking to other people that you've affected and all these kind of, and I can't remember all the 12 steps. Yeah, yeah. But his, his, the way he spoke of it was just, because you know, it was a bit tongue in cheek, but it was also yeah, bold and honest and authentic because he's lived all of that as well. Yeah. And I think he's gone through the process a couple of times, one for uh, drug addiction and then a the second time for uh, sex addiction. Yeah, I was sort of run this process a couple of times. Yeah, I think it's a really it's, good book. It's a good way to especially, get into it. Especially Russell Brand. Like, I think you know, people will. I mean, my perception of him before he started on, you know, started talking about recovery and all these things, people thought he was a, a bit of a douchebag. Like, land. yeah, just you know, didn't have, didn't you know think of anyone but himself was totally I think he did I think that was I think that was him looking for himself right and I think that's yeah I think that perception was true and accurate I think I think he's become even more uh for a better word popular for his journey that he's on now and for what he's gone through and Mm. you know talking about recovery and his addiction and all these kind of things. I think he's become more people are turning to him or looking at him more now for that rather than what he what brought him to everyone's attention in the first place. For sure. Yeah. I, I think people appreciate that authenticity of like uh, of someone like that saying, I have fucked up, I still fuck up on the regular. I don't know what's what all of the time. This is my experience. Maybe you can take something away from it rather than being up on the pedestal saying you should yeah. do this and you should do that. Yeah. And he's a good looking bloke. He's well-spoken. Yes, he's he is. He's got that British sense of humor. Yeah. Right. So he's got a whole- And he takes the piss out of himself as well. Like, Which you have to be able to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, more power to him for, you know, acknowledging that, yes, he did fuck up and- He's not perfect, and I think people are able to relate to that a whole lot more mm. than having this Instagram, you know, filtered profile life, yeah. thinking that they've got everything, and or they just look like they've got everything. Yeah, 
you know, don't even get me started about the Kardashians, you know, like I just... <laughs> I don't know, I don't um, have any time for that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, I just, these, I would, I would listen to somebody, you know, more where they've acknowledged that, yes, they've, they've fucked up in some way and, you know, and that they've, and what they've learned from it, you know, I think that's worth, you know, 10 times more than somebody that's just famous for being famous. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I saw this, I saw this lovely thing uh, recently with Matt Damon and someone asked him, um, oh, geez, what was the question? It's like, what, what would you change if you could? which is a really interesting thing to ask someone who's effectively, you think they've got everything right. Yeah. What, what would you change? And he said, oh, I'd probably be less famous. Mm. I'm like, Isn't that refreshing? Like, well, who just, I, he, just wants to, he wants his art. He doesn't actually want the fame. And yet yeah. there are so many people out there chasing the fame with no art. Oh, yeah. It's just <laughs> yes. lovely and refreshing. I, um, you know, I'm a massive uh, Friends fan, and it was hard to watch the reunion. I did. Um, no, well, it with um, Matthew Perry. So yeah. Matthew Matthew Perry has struggled, uh, I think, with alcohol uh, addiction, mm-hmm. um, and you know, he he was saying on the reunion special that you know if the crowd didn't he was sweating to the point where if people weren't laughing he was like completely convulsing inside and that's what let him down you know drinking all the time and you know really he was all about you know wanting to make sure people were laughing but it just had a massive effect on him um on what he was you know struggling with and people had no idea they thought he was just the funny guy he's he's got it all together um but he was yeah he was really struggling with that Hmm. yeah i I guess people think oh you're 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 making 20 million dollars a year on residual yeah what are your problems yeah yeah what are you money's money's great but uh, it's not the be all and end all. I was saying to my mentor this morning, uh, you know, I've had to pivot my business because it, it took a whack. It's taken a bit of a hit. Yep. And I said, I feel I'm so relaxed and calm and at peace at the moment. And the only thing is the money part of it. Now, that's not to say we don't have any money. I live in Noosa and we, the, the house sure. is ours. And, and I'm not complaining. Like my worst day is someone's dream day let's be honest yeah for some people in the world so it's just, it was a funny realization for me that I, I have no attachment to money making me happy it makes things easier mm. you know, there might be less stress i might be able to say to the kids sure you can have that thing that you want without having to do mathematics in my head yeah but it doesn't make me feel any, like I feel light now doing the work I'm doing, having conversations with you, with, yeah. other, with other people, connecting, knowing that the direction I'm going in is on purpose mm. rather than chasing cash. <laughs> it's, 
So yeah. it's really interesting. I think we have this misconception that especially the people that we see a lot in the popular sphere that have a lot of money are happy, whatever yeah. that means. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, I was always very generous with my money and when I was having, when I had my business and, you know, I was the first to want to take people out for dinners and pay for drinks and mm -hmm. all that kind of thing. But what was hard for me when I was cut out of so many people's lives, people drew a line in the sand for whatever reason, you know, for the decisions that I made in business or whatever, or the fact that I did not have any money anymore, you know, and then when I was trying to get to know people again in, uh, after this, it made me second guess myself why people were wanting to actually get to know me. Like, what do you want to know me? I've got no money. Like, what do you actually want from me? Because I felt like I was treated like that mm -hmm. by so many people and you know, money for me now, you know, I, you know, I, I hate, I hate the topic of money. It's, it's brought a lot of hurt for me. Um, but, you know, I've, I've learned to actually understand what actually matters in life a lot better or a lot more. Um, and that, you know, money can come and go, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be the center of your world. Um, I think, you know, money, money is what, you know, now has, I haven't spoken to my brothers for, you know, nearly seven years and, you know, it doesn't take you long to find another family story where money has ripped families apart. And it's, it's unfortunate, you know, that it's, you know, a lot of the times the root of all evils. Um, mm -hmm. So, but, you know, it's, um, we need it to survive in some ways, but it shouldn't be the reason why we survive, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a tool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You were saying a moment ago that you're grateful for the journey that you've been on and has put you in a new direction. So what are you moving into now? So, uh, so last year when COVID hit, you know, I lost my job and I said to myself that, um, okay, this could either I've got, I've got two, two lanes I could go. This could either be a negative and I could fall back into old ways. And this is only maybe six months after I got out of rehab. So I was very, very fresh into, um, you know, recovery. And, you know, I felt that, yeah, I could go down a dark path. I could just be lounging on the couch, watching Netflix and just fall into a slump. Or I could use this time as a positive and I started to ask myself questions that, hey, like, I've now reached this point. What can I do to turn this negative situation into a positive? 
where can I put myself going forward? And it led me to starting to uh, study a diploma of counselling and also life coaching. And because mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I feel that, you know, this knowledge that I've now lived and learned, and I'm still learning, uh, you know, that that information should be out there. You know, I, I feel because when you go bankrupt and you lose everything, you sign the documents, you leave the office, and you're somehow meant to go out and just rebuild your life. No one, there's no manual. You know, there's no way of you know, understanding just the gravity of what you're about to go through because there's so much unknown, you know, that you are just, you're hit with a brick wall and you're meant to somehow get through that brick wall. And if what I have learnt, you know, can help somebody that is heading down that road or or thinking about that road or is in that road right now, then if I can help them somehow navigate through that or talk to them about things, because I remember I was at a friend's barbecue and he was about six months away from heading that way. And the information I was telling him about who to talk to about bankruptcy, you know, what type of lawyer, what type of accountant you need, all these kind of little tips, it was like colour came back to his face because he was just in such a like fuck things are things are going really bad and they're happening really quickly i don't know where to go i don't you know he was starting to do you know heavier drinking drugs all these kind of things just to cope but giving him that kind of information you don't no one unless you've sort of gone through it a lot of people wouldn't be able to tell you that you know so it's now, um, yeah, I'm just, I suppose I'm just trying to, you know, bounce off what I've gone through and what I've learned to try and teach and, you know, hopefully inspire others to, you know, make positive changes uh, in their life. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, and I, yeah, I feel like it's it's given me back my sense of purpose. You know, this is this is what I'm meant to meant to be doing um, because I think this knowledge that I've I've got now can can help me make an impact in somebody else's life. You know, and well, that's the goal. You know, mm-hmm. are you still studying those courses, or are you done? No, so I've got about uh, two units to go, and uh, and is it a, a joint course? No, so the life the life coaching uh, is about another six months away. Okay. I sort of started that uh, halfway through, sure. um, because both of those uh, you know industries are still, especially the life coaching. You know that industry is still very much an up up and coming new industry correct me if i'm wrong but yeah, that's right to me i mean there's an overlap with life coaching and what i do i just don't call myself a life coach nor do i have the piece of paper that says life coach on it but the the work's very similar yeah i think um and i think for such a new industry to have 
the credibility and I suppose I feel that, you know, it's right to have that kind of piece of paper to say I've done the work because it's a very unregulated, you know, industry mm -hmm. and, you know, I don't want to be, you know, I suppose associated with people that may be just doing, calling themselves a life coach, but it's, it's not really, you know, life coaching, if you get what yeah, I'm saying. It, it takes a little bit more than just having lived to be able to call yourself a life coach or whatever that yeah. terminology is. And, and I think there is a perception that you can go and do a two day course somewhere and you can learn yeah. skills to help someone. I've, I've been developing my coaching skills for the half of my life, you know, over yeah. 20 years now. And I'm still, I still see myself as a novice. I'm looking yep. at a diploma in counselling as well, just because what is taught in counselling is a different way of listening and reflecting experience back to a person and then mm. uh, highlighting tools and paths forward. Very different to the work that I've done with my hypnotherapy and Ericksonian psychotherapy, which is the last chunk of work I did, which is 600 or so hour course, a deep dive. Yeah, right. Yeah, diploma level, but uh, isn't allowed to be called a diploma with all of the new crazy accreditation regulations. Yes. Uh, but, you know, like 600 hours of psychotherapy and a very specific approach, different to counselling, overlaps, yep. but different. You know, and then NLP before that, like a ridiculous two-week deep dive of like 10 hours a day for two weeks, plus whatever else we did in homework, all layer upon each other. So you've, and you find all these different ways in, different doorways into helping people. Yeah. Yeah, because I think... Uh, you need, like, coaching is a skill in and of itself to be able yes. to relate to people and mm. find out what's going on and, and say the right thing to point in the right direction at the right time. And then also, this is the one that I find to be the most, being okay with not knowing what to do next as the coach. Yes. And that's where I think a lot of coaches fall over. They feel the need to justify themselves mm. by giving something that might not even be required right now. And sometimes just silence and support is enough. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes not having the answer is the answer, you know. Exactly. Um, I think, you know, what I've, and it's probably the first lot of study that I've really enjoyed because it from somebody that was on the other side mm -hmm. to be learning about what the counselor does and what you know why they do the things they do it actually made it a lot more it, a lot more interesting because i was kind of like oh this is why <laughs> i had to go through that process this is why a case study had to be done this is why all the casework had to be done when i was going getting in touch with the services to get a treatment plan put in place this is why and so it made it a lot more interesting to read and kind of put a lot more things together for me um but then when especially when i was in rehab you know we had people that worked at the rehab and facilitated some sessions and but it was it was refreshing to see people that were running the sessions that have had lived experience yes and to talk to them 
to talk to them on a one-on-one basis and know that the struggles that you're sharing with them and that you're experiencing right now, they know what that is like. And to talk to somebody like that, you feel that you can open up a lot more to that person than somebody that may be just reading from a book, if you get what I'm saying. And that's not to discredit them, but you, especially when you're like, I would go tenfold or, or 10 times more likely or wanting to go through bankruptcy and losing everything again than dealing with a drug addiction. And to talk to somebody about that drug addiction and the struggles that it is, you know, that's, that's a, you know, that's deep stuff that you can't just open up to somebody that you can't relate to, you know, um, in my personal opinion, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Which is really interesting because people focus on techniques and strategies. And I would suggest that the most important thing is the relationship. And we, and this is something that gets spoken of in a clinical context, a lot, the therapeutic relationship, but it's no, it's no different to the coaching relationship or the mentoring relationship. Yeah. That it's the actual relationship itself that is the most important part. And that's, that's how that shared experience opens that door really quickly because yes. you can make a connection at some level. You're not feeling judged and you're not feeling like uh, maybe lesser than that person because they're, they're a professional therapist of some description. Well, that's important. It's important. I've been talking to a, a man locally who's um, working in and around eating disorders for young women. Right. He's, he's, uh, he's got a foundation and does some really good work. And uh, so we're hoping to meet up. The lockdown got in the way and a whole bunch of stuff's happened because I was talking to him about how hypnotherapy is a, uh, an interesting way in to work with these young ladies. Just, just the way that it can help uh, the cognition in and around eating disorders. Right. And he said that within his foundation, there's, I think he said, three young ladies who have lived experience that are a really important part of his team. Mm. And uh, I'm, yes, well, it's not the only place, of course. Like when you start to think about it, how important is that to immediately be validated by someone? Like your experience is immediately validated. Yeah. It's not, you're not broken. You don't need no. to be fixed. You're going through some shit at the moment. You're not the only one who's gone through that shit. We've been where you are now. Yeah. Well, that, that's. Power. Yeah, absolutely. Like I still remember uh, going into my first uh, NA meeting, mm-hmm. and you know the doctor gave me because at that stage I was working with the doctors to come off uh, ice and my drug use uh, with medication, um, and they said, "Oh, you know, you should probably attend the NA meeting," and. Yeah, I remember going to the NA meeting and, you know, it's, it's within a, it was within a church, um, sort of meeting hall at the back of the church. And, you know, I'm looking for the sign and I'm like, where's the NA sign? And I'm like, oh, wait, anonymous, uh, you know, so, <laughs> um, but then, you know, I, I eventually found the room and, 
yeah, I'm in deep psychosis, you know, going into this meeting. And, you know, within the first half hour, I was like, after everyone hearing everyone's shares, I was like, holy shit, like, this was probably the first time where I realized, you know, I'm not, in one way I was losing my mind, but in the other way I'm not, you know, because like what you just said, I was validated. I was going through some shit. These people had been there. It sort of made a lot more sense and, you know, it gave me some kind of connection about what was actually going on for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they asked me to share when I went to my first meeting and, you know, I, I just let everything out. And awesome. I was telling everyone, you know, I'm, you know, I'm freaking out. Like I'm trying to stay in this meeting. I'm hearing these voices. I'm trying to be in this room, but I, I don't know what to do. I am lost. I am at my knees. I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I need help. And the love and the support of complete fucking strangers that came up to me and exchanged phone numbers and they took me for a coffee afterwards and you know people that i wouldn't even have known from a bar or so it just it was so powerful and just made me even more believe in that type of program you know and why you know, they have the philosophy of keep coming back, you know, and even though this time around recovery that I'm back in the rooms, you know, and making connections again with people that I've known since the start, you know, it's just in you're you're in a world of pain, but you always feel like you're at home when you're around those kind of people. So you it's um I mean if anyone that you know is possibly watching this or listening to this today if you know if you're in that world or don't know where to start you know i i can't highly recommend na enough you know i just to be able to make new connections and to disassociate yourself with that world um of you know addiction you know na is an amazing place to start you know and um yeah you know never in my world is wildest dreams did I ever think I would be hi my name's Tony I'm an addict you know but that that is just a part of me and my story now you know that's just and I'm I feel that the more I say that word and that phrase even to a job interview I'm going to or something like that I'm taking back that power yeah you, know? you own it yeah rather than having it control me, you know, it's like, no, fuck you. I'm, I'm taking the power now, you know? Um, yeah. There's something awesome about being able to be above board about all of your own shit and, and like owning that. So no one can hold it over you and being so genuine that if that's a problem, for a potential friend or partner or employer or anything else that there you go. There's your chance to back away now. Yes. Right. And you're not going to get blindsided by this later, nor do you get to lord it over me in some kind of fashion that is unhelpful. Yeah. 
I love that. I love that. Do you know what it reminds me of? Did you ever see Eight Mile with Eminem? Uh, I, I think so. When I rented it, Blockbuster. Uh. Yeah, so it's, it's old. <laughs> but I was thinking about this the other day. It's so it's 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 I don't know. Maybe the planets are lining or some weird cosmic shit. But I, I make all these connections at the moment. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking about this while doing the dishes in the kitchen that there's a scene at the end where they're doing their rap battle and a whole bunch of shit has happened to Eminem's character. And the guy he's having the battle with wants to come out and pour all that shit out on stage to like demean him to beat him in the battle. Right. Eminem, Eminem gets up and he's like, yeah, you did this, you beat me up, you fucked my girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. You know? And then he drops the mic and he's like, now bitch, tell them something the world doesn't know and just walks off. And the guy, so the guy's got nothing because he just walked up and oh, they just reduced months. <laughs> yeah, such a great moment in like in movie history that this yeah. character just went up and owned everything that had gone wrong, and he's like, "Fuck you, you've got nothing to tell them now." Yeah, and he and he won the crowd. He won the battle. He, you know, like Hollywood ending. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, there you go. The thing is, like, own that shit. Yeah. Well, I love, I'm... That, I love that you have got that going on it's great yeah well i'm i'm the first you know like i like you put my name into google everything comes up about what happened in my business it gives you the facts it gives Mm -hmm. you the facts about you know what money was used why you know what happened when it happened and you know i can't run from that you know like and that's that's something that you know i was only just you know recently talking about this uh you know that's something I wish I could change, but it's unchangeable. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm the first in a job interview meeting, you know, new people where eventually, you know, people sort of ask about, you know, what's been happening for you and all this kind of stuff. And it comes up in a conversation and I'm the first to be full disclosure because while those facts are on Google, there's no context about why I made those decisions or anything mm. like that. So I'm, I'm the first to acknowledge them and accept them because, you know, yes, I did what I did, but, you know, I, it led me down the path, you know, and all those kind of things. And I'm, I'm the first to, yeah, acknowledge it and, and want to talk about it because I don't want it to be something that I'm, hiding from or because that's just unhealthy because mm-hmm. i think like i'm not going to be able to do anything or believe in myself again because i think as we've said before everyone has a past everyone's got a you know everyone's fucked up in you know in some way not everyone but when you acknowledge it and accept it i think that's more powerful uh, to do um you know i it reminds me like that I suppose what you were saying before about, you know, tell something the world doesn't know, you know, this is your chance to back away. My, my now partner, you know, it was three days into meeting him and, um, you know, we had like, we just instantly connected and, you know, three days in, we're having that conversation. What do you look for in a relationship? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, honesty. And, uh, and I said, you know, uh, secondly, when shit gets tough, you don't run. And I said, and thirdly, this is probably the chance where I tell you that I've got a problem with ice. I'm trying to do something about it. 
but if that's going to be too much because I've had somebody walk out on me when I needed somebody, mm. uh, I don't want that to happen again. So this is your chance to walk out and like, or we just become friends, whatever. But, you know, he still stood by me. He came and saw me every day I was in rehab, you know, and it just, I think uh, I'm forever grateful for, you know, meeting this uh, this guy and, um, yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I try and put my story out on the floor, full disclosure, because I don't want it to be used against me because I've worked way too fucking hard to get where I am now for it to be taken lightly or made fun of or because it's kind of like, unless you've walked in my shoes, I'm sorry, but, you know, you can't, you, you don't, deserve to make fun of it or to make light of it you know so yeah man and look there are so many stories out there of people who've done stuff that they're not proud of that is you know that stuff is what built them into what they are now and then they're doing such amazing work yeah and they've rebuilt themselves and they've created opportunities for other people so fuck it if people think it's a negative yeah it's like it's not, yeah. it's just, it, it happened. And, and you get to use all that shit that happened. Oh yeah, it's great that you've got this story. And yeah, maybe if you could change it, you would, but you can't. So that's but, created who you are now, right? Absolutely. And I think as much as I, I say that I would like to change it, if I changed it, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have learned all these things. Mm. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone down the path and, you know, learned so many life lessons that so many don't get the advantage to learn, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, and I'm not saying that they're lessons to learn or that you want to learn, but it's something that, you know, um, I guess I'm just trying to take the positive out of the negative situation, you know? And, and to learn from it. Sounds to me like you're on a good path, mate. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm now, like I realize that, you know, in, in recovery again, and, um, you know, I'm approaching clean time that I've never had before. And, you know, I'm now in an outpatient rehab facility. Um, with lockdown, it's all over Zoom, but, you know, it took me a lot, it was a lot easier this time around to ask for help uh, because I, I was always the first to offer it, but the last to ask for it. Mm -hmm. um, but this time around, you know, realizing what asking for help did for me previously, and where that got me, it's kind of like, well, asking for help, you know, and we can bring positive. So, you know, um, yeah, now like about two months, uh, uh, three months to go left of this rehab facility and um, rehab program. And uh, it's a great refresher in terms of what I've learned before, but it's, um, 
it's I'm learning, you know, a lot more. They're using a different model in terms of the matrix model, um, where you know they're talking about the lower brain and the higher brain uh, and what that can do uh, in terms of addiction. So um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I feel like I'm on the right path now. So awesome, brother. Yeah. And thanks for sharing your story with such openness. I really appreciate that. Like, I mean, we've never chatted before and I feel like I know you quite well now. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, yeah. If, you know, if what I talk about, you know, leads conversations elsewhere, then, you know, that's, that's great. Or even just having the conversation is, you know, I think what I was saying before, you know, acknowledging, yes, my name is Tony, I'm an addict, you know, I'm taking control back over that. Yeah. So, and not letting it go the other way. So, I love it. Right, man. Thank you so much for your time today. No worries.